Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God Psalm 149. It'll be on the stage, and I'm going to read, or on the screen, and I'm going to read um, from my Bible, and then we are going to get into worship. So it says, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in, in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for the joy of, on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. To execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples. To bind their kings with chains and their noble with fetters of iron. To execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for his godly ones. Praise the Lord. So God, we just come before you this morning. We thank you that you are present with us. We thank you that you desire to meet with us. And we ask that you um, would come, that you are, would stir our hearts to listen and to see all that you are doing this morning. May we take a deep breath and not miss anything. May we take a deep breath and rest in knowing that you are king and you are God and you are over all. Fill this space with joy and with hope. May we exalt your name that is worthy to be praised. It is above every other name. So we ask you to come. We lift this morning up to you with no desire expectation other than to meet with you. In Jesus' name, amen.
So, kind of super excited about this day because we have felt a transition from talking about pots and being super present with Jesus and starting your year off correctly, not being about a to-do list, but about presence and Jesus' presence and getting in his presence and staying in his presence and he does the rest. And we really felt like we were supposed to transition into a book study. And so we locked in. The reason, well, the reason we felt like we were supposed to transition into a book study was because we knew that we needed to focus on Jesus. Not that we weren't focused on Jesus, okay? But we knew we needed to have all eyes on Jesus. And so one of the best ways to do that is preach through one of the Gospels. And the Gospels are... Good news. <laughs> it's good. And yeah, that's four of them. So, so a, just a real simple, you should know this about the Gospels and the importance of them that is one of those just the, the Bible's handed to us and we're like, thanks, cool, I'll, I'll read it or I won't. I know it's important. So this is the only content in the Bible that there are four different books written on, right? There's not four books on Revelation. There's not four books on Genesis content. There's not four books on Corinthians. There are four books written centered around one person. So that alone tells you how important this is in the context of this whole, whole book, right? There are four of them, correct? Which also means that it's not just a set of facts, because that could be done in how many books? In one book, which gets a little tricky. So now we understand that these are views of a main central figure through many different people. And honestly, realistically... It's not even through the writer a lot of times. It's through the communities that they're gathering the info from. There weren't books. So the stories of Jesus started to circulate, and people were just like, did you see him walk up to Bartimaeus and was like, get up and walk? And, was like, and, he, and these started to pass around communities, and then they thought, we have got to get this information down. And so one guy, specifically for you and now, is Mark. His job was to take all of these stories and put them into an order that could be read. Do you understand this? Okay, so important. We were just at Disney World this past week, and one of my favorite things we did was a show called The Lion King at Universal Studios. Who's ever done that? That's pretty good. So that you walk in, and there's four sections to sit, and they make you go to one section. I don't think there's a real good reason why they make you go. I think sometimes they just want to tell you where to go. So we go to one section, and as it starts on all four corners, things start coming out, and you're like, oh, there's a lion. That must be Simba. And then there's a giraffe that comes out. And then there's uh, the thing with the horns. What is it? Pumbaa. The Akuna Matata guy, right? Is he the Akuna Matata guy? Now we've got we to sing that song just because. We've always been singing a song. Akuna Matata. Is that right? It's so worried. Amen. Amen. Okay. Here's the problem with that. That was the loudest you've sang all day. That's the problem with that. What? Okay. I digress again. So we're sitting in our section, and we happen to be near the lion. I'm already fascinated with lions. They're huge. They're cat. Cats are ferocious. Just little cats are ferocious. A huge lion 
is crazy. And so we're seated next to this lion, and me and Noah, my son, start to, we lock in on the lion, and we're like, I didn't care what was happening. They had like people swinging and trapeze and jumping. I could care less. The lion's motions were set up to the whole show. And so he would like, if there was a crazy thing, he'd be like, and like it worked in ways we couldn't understand, but we were so locked in on this one part of the show. And I loved it. Like that was my favorite, one of the favorite things I did there. And I started to think when you talk about the gospels, right? Like when we received these messages about, about this central figure that we know, he is the main character. He must always be the main character. There are different things that different people see about him. Just like when we're at that show, not everybody was looking at the lion. Some people were looking at Simba. And as we enter this story, the wrong entrance is that you're about to gather some facts about a figure in history. The right thing is to say, God, what are you showing me about your son? It's a living, breathing, active, dynamic word that is the logos, that is alive, meant to be read in spirit and community, and it is not just history about a man. Does that make sense? That's so important. I know for our church, we want Jesus at the right place. So the last time I preached to you, I had you guys close your eyes. Some of you weren't here. I want you to close your eyes again. I want you to picture in your heart, there's a seat in the center, and it's meant to be for the most important thing in your life. It's not just what you think should be the most important thing. It's meant for the most important thing. Now I want you to interact with, in your mind, what is seated on that seat. You're not here to throw stones at yourself or be angry with yourself. You're just being honest. And Jesus is not ready to smite if it's not him. Of course, with your eyes closed, we all want Jesus on the center of our hearts. Reality for a lot of us is that he is not. And so as we begin today, I hope that you hear him drawing you with kindness into his presence. I hope that you sense the Prince of Peace Standing near that throne saying, it's just going to be better for everyone if you let me get on there. But he will not demand it. He will not make you. He will offer himself to you in the form of a sacrifice. And you will have to accept it as a gift that cannot be earned. So just for a moment, give him space in some imaginative prayer where Father... We really want you at the center, and we don't even know how to get you there. So God, during this, this next season at River City, let the conversations we have be ones that, that put you in the right place in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to read you a quote. This is from Thomas Aquinas. If our loves are rightly ordered, we enjoy doing God's will. I want to be there. I want to enjoy God's will. Sometimes I don't. Because if our loves remain disordered, we find God's will burdensome, 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 like the word was for me, and useless. 
I want God at the center of our church, our heart, my family. I want that. There's times when I don't know how to have that happen. There are times when there's so much happening inside of me, it feels like there's wild beasts that I have no idea how to tame. There's times when the reality of who I am is so painful, and I just want help, and I can make it seem like he is, and I'm good at that. I'm really good at that. I'm really good at making you believe that I'm more than I am and in a better spot than I am. You can even call me on it at times, and I'll be like, I'll try and be honest, but I'll probably make you believe I'm just doing awesome. And I think we're all really good at that, right? I hope we could become not good at that. My hope is that you would become really poor at faking where you're at. And that you would become really okay at being exactly where you're at. Because in the exactness of where you're at is where he'll meet you and he'll tame the wild beasts. I'll read you a crazy scripture by the end of today. Where he tames wild beasts. There's even passages that talk about babies sitting with wild beasts. That's not just a metaphor. That's what he can do if we approach him and we allow him to approach in the very realest place of our lives. That's what our world is looking for. And that's what I want to be. So, so Mark was written about 70 years after, and he was waiting for the death of Peter. It's believed because he was going to be really honest about Peter in this book. The reason this book, and I, I hate when I, when I study, I always write out my notes a bunch, and I, sometimes, I, sometimes I just put letters down to remind me, and for this one, I put IBS, and all I can think is irritable bowel syndrome. But then I remembered it's not irritable bowel syndrome, it's inductive Bible study. And I remember when I was at seminary, the first time I had the opportunity to really dive into the Word like I hadn't before, like I didn't even know you could, was on Mark, and it was called Inductive Bible Study, and its, its goal was to teach you how to dive truly into the Word in a deeper way. And so you'd sit down, and you would read Mark 1 through Mark 16, and then you read it again, all in one sitting. And it would take you, it would take me about three hours, it would take Sarah, my wife, about two hours. And then you would have the whole thing digested. And then you would sit down, and they'd say, remove the chapters, remove everything that man has put in, you need to now... You need to break this apart on your own. Who's done inductive Bible study before? So it's, it's just a great way to study the Bible. So for me, this book means more than just one of the Gospels. Even though this Gospel was actually treated poorly for a while, it was thought that it maybe wasn't as important as the others because it didn't have as much info. Then it was found out that it's probably the source material for the other Gospels, and they added to it. It's probably the most original, most accurate. It was written at a time to a people who had forgot how important the gospel was. The people, this wasn't written just for, i got to get this down. The people had stopped focusing on Jesus and other things started to compete. And so we have to write this down. So this gospel is an attempt to jump through these dynamic moments in Jesus' life. And it is passionate. I challenge all of you, and any of you that will, read this once through, just once through. It is power-packed. Jesus was crazy. Jesus did things that no human could do. Jesus was so different than a lot of us think he is. Jesus was not mostly concerned with all of us prospering. We're going to prosper in him, but the character of Jesus shown in Mark shows so much more to him. It shows these moments of submission to man who he created. It shows moments where he stands up to political 
and powerful structures totally against the grain of the religious people of that day. It shows these moments where he is outcast from actual religious community. It shows crazy things about him. And so as we start, I want to challenge you to allow him to show you what he wants to show you about him. As Christians, we have got to know about Jesus and who he is. I would say that's the most important thing that you can know, to know him so deeply that it's like you're talking about a brother you love. You have to know, especially if you're a millennial and you have strong opinions about everything. (laughs) Know what you're talking about. And not off the hook, people who aren't millennials. you got to know this. You've got to know this. You need to know Jesus. It's so basic. Like, every message could be built around that, and it would probably be enough. You need to know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. So in this book, my prayer for you is that you are so willing to interact with him. One more time, close your eyes. What is your opinion of Jesus? Who is he to you? Don't start screaming it out, the three of you that want to do that already. We did this in our pre-service meeting. It's just beautiful things, right? Like, for you, real quick, now the floor is open. Keep your eyes closed, though. Who is Jesus to you? You can say it out loud if you want. that space with some things. We need to fill that space in us as a church with some things about him. And my prayer is that it's so easy. My prayer is that when you interact with that thought, who is Jesus to me, that it's right there at the surface, right there at the surface of your heart because it's so entrenched in you. Jesus is peace. Jesus is my second, fifth, twelfth chance. Jesus is the one who taught me it's more than just forgiveness of sins, but it's about identity. Jesus is the one who restored my faith in Christianity. Jesus is the one that gave me grace for the people who are idiots in my life, including the number one idiot myself. Jesus is the one that showed me. He approved of me before I did any work for him. Who is Jesus to you? One more chance. Amen. Good stuff. We're getting there. Okay, so we're going to start by jumping in where kind of this story in Mark, the first chapter, it, it, right off the bat, it throws you back to the Old Testament. And so I want to pull up a couple passages and read them to you really quickly. This is Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Next one. This is Malachi's not in there. 
All right, so Malachi 3.1. Now I'm sending my messenger. He will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will come suddenly to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. See, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Before we have the gospels, before we have Jesus on earth, we have this dream of God and the people, and people crying out for him to come and purify the land. Specifically here in these passages, they're speaking into systems of religious structure that are not doing what they're supposed to do, and people are crying out, come, Lord, come, Lord. And it speaks of a character that's mentioned right off the, right off the bat in the book of Mark. And I want to read you. This is going to be your text for today. Mark 1, 1 through 13. You can follow along with me up here. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and the Jerusalem and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of, Gal of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descended on him like a dove. <laughs> and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. Okay. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. There are about 30 crazy things in this passage. But the one that jumped off to me when I started studying this was, why in a story about Jesus, which evidently is the center figure in all these books, are we reading about a dude named John the Baptist? Why would you put him first? Why is he up first? Like, if I'm choosing an MC to my like coming out moment of awesomeness in the world, I'm thoughtfully doing that. It's probably not going to be a guy like him. It's going to be somebody awesome. Why is he putting himself up against John the Baptist to start his books? Why is that there? And I started to realize we needed to see in relation to Jesus how we were to be as man. We needed to see the kind of persona when we come in contact with him. What's expected of us, right? Like he's He's great. John is great. They've been looking for a prophet for over 300 years. They have one, right? If I tell you there's a guy right now in the wilderness preaching repent and be baptized, none of you jokers are going 20 miles to go visit him, right? <laughs> I remember somebody told me about a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God where people were holding on to posts and it was like shaking in the room. You remember that sermon, anybody? Sinners in the Hands of Angry God. Just that title alone is horrifying. It's like horrifying to me. So John the Baptist is known for telling people, you're coming to me, you're confessing your sin, you're being real, and you're getting baptized. He didn't have to build a campaign. 
they were flocking to him. 20 miles, 10 miles higher in elevation. So for us, that's like flying to Africa. That's what it was. People were flocking to this guy. He had built a reputation. He was the man. It didn't matter if he was wearing, and there's probably too much made about how he's wearing stuff. What it does say about him is that he lived in contradiction of the society. And he was a simple-lifed person. And I love how the person that Jesus uses to introduce him to the world is someone who says no to man's society and all that we build and happens to live in the desert away from civilization. He's not tempted by style or why is he wearing what he's wearing. He's not having to eat only Whole30 diets with caviar the next day. He's eating whatever the land produces and he doesn't need to be in what's awesome, the city. He lives already in the wilderness. He's a man from the wilderness. He didn't just go there for this moment. He wasn't like, Jesus is coming. I'm going to be in the wilderness. He's from the wilderness. It's who he is. And this is who Jesus chooses to introduce him. So Jesus shows up, right? Jesus shows up and submits to John. So if you want to talk about what this book is, is showing us about our father, our creator, the Prince of Peace, the Father of Life, all of it. One of the first things we see is he submits to his creation. And then he does a baptism and he is sin free. He doesn't even have sin and gets baptized. He doesn't have to submit. He is creator, like crazy stuff, right? So he chooses a man in John who's known for desolations and wildernesses. And he's actually called the prophet of solitudes. It's baffling. Like he was, he was known for being still away, like away from all of it. Jesus goes, and one of the first things he shows us is that he came to, I don't even, that's still for my brain, is hard. That's still hard for you if you're honest with it. That's difficult. But what he does in that moment that he wanted to show us that's so important is the very deepest part of our natures, right? The things that we hide the most, the wild beasts in our hearts are those things that are our sins. Those things that all of us have, there's no one excluded except him. He wanted to do the first thing, what he was going to do was he was going to identify with that failing place in us. So he, he didn't show up, right, and demand anything. He showed up and he identified with the very nastiest part of us. And then he did things that we hate doing, submitting. So right off the bat in the book of Mark, Jesus shows up as a submissive king. And he connects first and foremost with our failure. What in the world? Like, There's no part of you that's too far for him to come into. Right? There's no part of you that he's not willing to associate with. He didn't go to the temple first, right? In his coming out party, he hears, John the Baptist is here, it's my time. Like Jesus had to make some decisions, as we do when we begin to hear the voice of God. Will I, will I do this? The voice of God is evidently saying for me to do this. Jesus was doing it. He went, he showed up. And John, like, just imagine, the guy you've been preaching about your whole time preaching, all of a sudden shows up at one of your sermons. I would be freaking out. Like, there's a person here a couple weeks ago that I just think is an awesome worship leader. I was like thrown off my game for like an hour. I was like, I didn't know what to do. Jesus showed up to John who was talking about Jesus showing up. I would have been so messed up. He sees him. 
And then I love that he chose John to be the first guy from the wilderness. His first act in looking at Jesus was submission. I'm not even worthy. Like you, all you guys showed up 20 miles to hear me preach about repent and being baptized, which I must be awesome if you're showing up for that. But now, the reason I was here is here. And the best gift that John gives us is it's not about him, and he's pointing to something else. He's preparing the way. He's preparing the way, showing us. When we have Jesus in our lives, we're the John the Baptist in that story. We're always John the Baptist in that story. Listen, you might think I'm awesome. None of y'all think I'm awesome. And I shouldn't be thought of. But the only reason I'm here is because Jesus. And if I'm not pointing you to him, leave this church. Even if I make you stay. Leave fighting, kicking in a loving way. Jesus will put my ear back on if he needs to. We all are the John the Baptist in this story, right? Like, and there's players. There's people who had dreams. Their part was to dream and speak a super uncomfortable message to a community of people about a coming Savior. And then there's a guy who's told to be in the, in the, in the wilderness and preach repentance and baptism as, as a beginning. And here's another part I love about John. He preaches repent and be baptized and forgiveness, which happens to be in an evangelistic society who's lost its roots maybe in discipleship and growth. The message of the church. But there's one who is coming that is even greater, who has a deeper, stronger message than just repent and be, and be baptized and be forgiven. That's just to prepare the way. It is not the end. It is not the means. It is the beginning to the good stuff, the Jesus stuff. So maybe you're like me and you thought all of Christianity was about making people understand that they needed to be forgiven of their sins and they need to be baptized and clean. That is the entry point, and there is someone that's just preparing the way to what happens when Jesus shows up. When Jesus shows up, it hits the fan. Like the spiritual fan went. <laughs> Jesus shows up, he submits, he goes under. Okay, this is the only gospel that uses the word torn, but the sky's torn. Some of the other ones are kinder. Mark's more like, this is what happened. Torn open, the spirit, okay. Don't rationalize this. The spirit descends like a dove on Jesus, and then he's told, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. That alone will make me want to cry for about a week because I struggle with performance as much as anybody. And I think, I got to do this for Jesus, and he's going to love that I'm doing it. And he thinks, I loved you back there, dude. You can go, you can go in peace and do this. But these are the goods. Repent and baptize prepares the way for identity, calling, assurance of who you are in him, being filled. This is not metaphoric language. I baptize with water. He's going to baptize in something greater, the Holy Spirit. This is a real statement from the real word about Jesus. And it happens to him. And then he celebrates in the streets. No. He's already, this is the crazy part, he's already in the desert. He's already in the desert because that's where John was. He goes to the desert to meet John. And then 
I mean, for us, just think about it. In our desert experience, we're like, I've done, I've gone 20 miles in. I've labored for you, Lord. I've waited. I've mourned. I've been on my knees praying. And then Jesus shows up the moment of awesomeness for you and drives you deeper into the wilderness. What the what? What the what is happening? I just served my time. I just paid my penance. I've been baptized. I've asked for forgiveness. I've been cleansed. Surely now it's time for ecstasy and celebration. Surely now it's about euphoria. For Jesus, it was deeper into a wilderness that had wild beasts. It literally is the only gospel that says, and he was driven deeper by the same spirit that descended upon him. That same spirit now takes him deeper into the wilderness. And just for kicks and giggles, where there is wild beasts. So if I'm Jesus, I'm like, all right, I'll go. And there's wild beasts. I'll be like, what? Tell me what kind of wild beast. I'm super afraid of animals that are larger than me. And there, there's animals larger than him. But he's driven even deeper. So the Holy Spirit here in this salvific work, in this message about a king, he comes, surely now sending him back to the world. Surely this is it. I know who I am. You've shown me. I'm, you're, you love me. You're for me. You're not against me. You're pleased with me. And now you're sending me into 40 days of desolation? How does that even make sense? I've spent so much time talking about desolations and deserts in the past year for you guys. I believe it's for a purpose, right? Most Christians aren't willing to do it. Most Christians, as soon as that moment happens where Jesus or God touches you in a way, you, you have your cards out and your billboards and you've started your ministry. And right, like you're prophetess so-and-so and you're the prophet and you've got a ministry that you're building and it's JTM Ministries and and, and God is like, no, Jesus, I'm sending you deeper into desolations. I'm sending you deeper in because there's more work that has to be done. You won't work on it. You won't. And so he says, I'm sending my son into a desolation. I'll send you. And really, Lent, when you talk about what this, and some of you just get over what just happened when you're like, they're talking about Lent. This must be a Catholic church. <laughs> Listen, Lent represents seeking the face of a God who is coming and carving out space for him to sit on the throne of your heart. It's not about what you fast. It's about what you feast on in place of the fast. And I'm just going to be honest with us. Most of us need to fast things that we really don't even need to be fasting. We just don't even need to be dealing with. Like if we're watching Netflix for 100 hours a week, I'll fast like an hour a day of Netflix, God, for you. Like, so for us, our appetite's need the desert. Our appetites need desolations. They need to be cleansed. And then you find out the beauty of the gift on the other side, right? Like you don't even understand just in this passage alone what happens in the desert. Just in this passage alone, people hear the voice of God. People go running after him. People travel however far they need. We hear identity given. We hear passion. We see calling all in the desert, these things happen away from the noises and the appetites of society. So the desert, man, I don't pray pain upon you. I don't pray hurt upon you. I ask Jesus to give you spaces where he would cleanse the things in you that are not for you. So that the appetite for the Holy Spirit and Father God become your first hunger. These are what happened. 
he was able to clearly identify the voice of Satan and the voice of his father. Many of you in this room right now would say, I don't know how to hear God. These people are taught in the desert how to hear their God. These people are taught when all the other voices are ground out. Here's the voice of your father. And then curveball. Here's the voice of the enemy. It's going to come and tempt you. But it's going to bring clarity. Temptation is great. If we fall to it, it's not awesome. That's not good. But it sharpens us, right? It tests us. It proves what's in us. It draws out of us things that send us into ministry. Things that send us equipped. These desolations, these places of brokenness. So please don't run from them. I want to spend just a moment on this. And I'm going to read you a Barclay for me is just a guy I love. In Jesus' desert. Here we have the whole essence of the temptation story. Jesus had to decide how he was to do his work. We all have to decide this, okay? The reason I told you in the beginning when Jesus heard of John, he had to make a decision because one of the things he showed us right there is that you get to choose what you do with your life. He will not make you do anything. There will always be a reason. It's always warmer in the city, and there's always better food in the city. It's never funner in the desert with wild beasts. It's just not, right? Like, clearly that's the truth. Here we have the whole essence of the temptation story. Jesus had to decide how he was to do his work. He was conscious of the tremendous task, and he was also conscious of the tremendous powers involved. God was saying to him, take my love to men, love them till you die for them, conquer them by unconquerable love, even if you finish on a cross. Satan was saying to Jesus, use your power to blast men, obliterate your enemies, and win the world by might and power and bloodshed. God said to Jesus, set up a reign of love, and Satan said to Jesus, set up a dictatorship of force. Jesus had to choose that day between the way of God and the way of the adversary. It's not easy to choose Jesus and forgive all of the messages that make it fluffy puppy dogs because some of the best gifts are the hardest things. And here specifically, our whole eternity hinged on Jesus' desert. So if he would have chose, surely, I, surely there's a temple that I could show up to. Like it doesn't have, like it, does it really need to be a desert, God? Like really? I'll go to the less temple in this place. I don't have to go to the big one. I need you in a desert. I don't see why that's important. I, me- I heard you mention something about wild beasts. I'll go to the desert, all right? I'll go. I need you to cleanse the land of wild beasts. Okay, Jesus, there are wild beasts in the desert, and that's where I'm sending you. Evidently, I'm not strong enough to destroy the wild beasts. Exactly. You're going to need me there, and you're going to learn how to hear my voice, and you're going to learn how to let me fight for you. Here's my favorite thing about this. So, and this is the main thing God spoke to me through this passage. In our away froms. So away froms are your structures that keep you busy or induced so you don't have to focus on the reality of where you really are. When we get away from those things, there are wild beasts in every one of us. And the truth about our wild beasts is we do not know how to tame them. And you're not supposed to know how to tame them. I don't have time for the story, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm just going to do it. Sorry, guys. When I was younger, I was trouble. Um, 
I was a criminal and legitimately a good criminal. I was an amazing thief. I'm not bragging about that, but that's who I was. I was uh, all of it. Like I was, a, I was good at all the things that you don't want your kids to be good at. I was good at harming people. I was good at all that stuff. Just I was good at avoiding getting caught. I was, I was mischievous. Like there was a part of me that like anywhere I was, like I remember when I was like five, I stood on the stage at Mount Perrin and got a mic and said a cuss word. Like who even thinks that like, in front of everybody? There was this thing in me, though, that was like, I just wanted to, like, I wanted to be rebellious. I wanted to be, and so I had this process of Christianity where I had, like, this total life change where I, w- I became the happiest person at Lee University. Like, I, it was a miracle I was there. I became the happiest person there. I was the guy I was bragging on. He's so kind. He's so nice. I really wasn't. I just, I put on a really good show because as a Christian now, I'm everything opposite of what I used to be. It wasn't until starting of this church about a year before that I had an encounter with a person in Charlotte who I won't share with you who they are, but they wrote dreams, books, and it's probably crazy for some of you, but it, it destroyed me. And he began to pray over me and he said, there are mischievousnesses from your past that you think are all the enemy that God wants to restore, that God can tame and that God can use for his kingdom. And those wild beasts in me I thought needed to be rid or actually some of the things that in the presence of Jesus, he can make seated next to kids and actually begin to use for his kingdom. Like he did with Jacob when he had to leave Laban. It would be me and God now, and he would show me, I'm cleansing you, right? Everything in you is not awful. But when we go to our deserts, we find our wild beasts, and we have to figure out what to do with them. Jesus knows what to do with them. He sends angel armies with us, right? He sends angel armies with us. Can you pull up just the passage? From 2 Kings, a passage where there's a fight happening. So I'm going to read it from here. He said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Nobody saw anything, though. It's like, okay, there's nobody here. All right. Then Elijah prayed and said, oh, Lord, please open my eyes so that I may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Angels were with Jesus in the desert angels are with us. The Spirit of God is with us. When you don't see it in the desert, you can trust. Your natural senses tell you to flee. He sends what you need. While developing your appetites, He is fighting for you. Right? So good. So wild beasts be unleashed. Right? And if you don't believe that, craziest passage ever. Hosea 2.8. I'm just going to read it. And that day I will make a covenant for them with the beast of the field. And the birds of the sky and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle, I will abolish them to the land so that they will lie down in safety. Whether that's a metaphor or real and that's going to happen one day, I believe he's saying that to us as well. In his presence, he can do this in us. And so Jesus, if you guys want to close your eyes. What I just believe he's trying to show us here. I just think he's inviting us to a space with him where he can show us more of him where we can begin to trust him. He shows us things like submissiveness, and he shows us that he, he recognizes our failure and how he's distant from it, but how he puts himself right in the middle of it. He's peace. He's prince of peace. That's so good. So you can open your eyes. So for this next week, we want to be a, a church where puts our money where our mouth is. And so the way that we're doing that, we are starting a prayer week. And this prayer week will be 
a space for you to be away from all of the things that are, are speaking to you that you don't need to have in your life right now. Or that you do, but maybe you just need some space from so that you can hear from the Lord. If you happen to be someone who enjoys journaling or doesn't, we have created journals. And in each journal is exactly what's happening on each day of the prayer week. At night, from 7 on, there's going to be live acoustic worship every night. But the other times, there's going to be playlists playing. And the stations, raise your hand if you're helping build one of the stations for us. These stations are awesome. And God's unleashed creativity on our people to do awesome things. There's going to be things in that room, in that room. But the whole space is going to be dedicated. And what I feel in my heart is I want to reclaim this space for the seeking of the Lord. Right? I want this to be a, a representation of how we live our lives. And so for you, here's, here's your challenge with this week. Just be at one thing. Like, if you're one of those people like, I can't go out If you're Charlie Brown's mom to all your problems. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Just, just make, make space one day. Come one day. Well, you're not going to be badgered when you walk in. There's going to be signs hanging everywhere that tell you how to interact. If you want to sit in the be still room, you can sit in there for four hours. Right? If you want to travel through all of them, Create a space right now, right? Like, and let's carry it with us. Does that make sense? If you would like to join us in a fast, because everybody's just dying to fast, right? <laughs> On the other side of this sheet explains ways to enter a fast. Um, explains things like it's not about what you give up. It's about what you put in its place. Explains things about, like Sarah created this and Spend some time's meditation on the following questions. To what place might the spirit be moving me? From insecurity to security, from hopelessness to hope, from sickness to health, from anxiety to peacefulness. What should I fast that might create room for the spirit to move in this area, right? Like if you're so insecure about the way that you look and just who you are, like one of the things Sarah I think really locked in on early was give up Facebook for a while, right? It's like not even real. It's fake. Like you're looking at everybody's awesomeness. It's not even really them. Give up all the stuff that speaks that to you, right? Like, just for the 40 days. There's all kinds of stuff that will help you, but that's on this. So in a minute when we close, this Wednesday, though, is the worship night. And so worship night we do twice a year. And we would say, if you're going to come to one only, come to worship night. And there'll be space after the worship night for you to just be in here. But it's an all-church worship night to kick off. I'm pretty pumped about it. Does anybody get excited about this kind of thing like I do? I'm like, I get too excited. So, so that's the start. If you want one of these, don't come grab five. Don't grab one. If you already know, I'm not going to use that. I just think it'd be a cool book to have. Like we have 150, so maybe one per family unit. And then we'll have some extras available during the week. Okay, does that make sense? If you guys want to come up, I'm going to pray over everybody. Prayer teams on the side. If, if when we close in a moment, you just feel like you need some prayer, there's going to be Prayer team over here, prayer team over here. And then we're going to have prayer for couples right here. If you're a couple who would like prayer, we'd love to have you come. The Rodriguez are going to be here. Sorry. So if you wouldn't mind standing with me. Here's, here's how I want you to close today. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to already notice in your heart the hurry, okay, with your eyes closed, the hurry that you feel even from just transitioning from this space to the next, the hurry. Some of you notice what time it is. 
Some of you can't carve space out, right? Notice the hurry, right? Hurry is a violent act on peace. It is a violent act on peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So, Father, we want to be on your time clock, not our culture's, not competition's time clock, not productivity's time clock, not the next end's time clock. Jesus, we want you to be the first will we have so that our other wills will be lined up. I want you to give him space for a moment to speak to you about how you're to interact over these next few weeks. Let him speak. If you cannot hear him, you need to be away with him. So, Father, we need your call, Yahweh. We need to hear your voice. I hear you calling us as a church. I have all year into a deeper space of prayer. I hear you saying things like you will be a house built upon prayer. It will come before you make decisions. It will be what happens before you jump the gun. Before you put a down payment on anything, prayer will be covered. Before you decide any moves, prayer. Before you do anything, prayer. We will be a people of prayer, God. We will be a people who listens before we respond. We will be a people in prayer who learn how to hear your voice and not just ask. I hear you calling us into solitudes and desolations and private places. I hear you calling many of these people in, and many of you already know he's drawing you. It'll be your decision to go. So, Father, give us the courage to step out like you did and go meet our John the Baptist so that we can be sent even deeper into the desert. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We're thankful for you. Now, after they sing a song, you can come grab one of these books. I'm not going to close. This is going to be my close. But if you're going to stay in this room, we're going to have ministry time, okay? Everybody just shake your head like you know. But ministry time, we understand what that is. We're totally cool with that. So, Jesus, I pray that you would go with them as they go. And everybody that stays, I pray, God, that you would just touch us deeply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.